you would, open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're actually going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this text. And uh, we're, we're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, um, it's important enough to do so. It's, uh, it's a weighty text. And uh, I think it's a very important one for the church, and in particular for this church. Um, number two is... Uh, th- this past week, um, I appreciate your prayers. I, I had shoulder surgery, broken foot, um, and so I've been on a whole lot of pain meds. And, and this sermon came during a time when I was on a whole lot of medication, and it made perfect sense at the time. I- I'm hoping it will continue to do so. If not, take some pain medication. It will probably all get very clear. But, but having next week to preach on the same topic Um, I can fill in some of the gaps that just might possibly be there tonight. Um, We're going to begin reading in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then He led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Pray with me. God, I pray that you would give me clarity as I present your word. Even more than that, I pray that You would open up our minds to understand Your Word. Give us hearts to hear. Give us a will that is ready to respond. God, we admit that we are slow of heart. That we are often foolish. And so in order to understand Your Word, let alone apply it to our lives, we need Your Spirit 
to press these things deep in us. And so we ask that He would come and He would do so for the glory of Jesus. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, let Your words, Your true words remain. May they change us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We're looking at the third and the last of the resurrection accounts according to Luke. Um, We've already talked about, I'm certain there were many resurrection accounts out there. Jesus had been alive walking around for 40 days. I'm sure he appeared to many people. There were many stories from which Luke could have drawn from, but he chose these three for very particular purposes. Um, Actually, if you go to some cathedrals in in Europe, you're going to find stained glass windows that have these three stories together, realizing that the importance of these three, each teaching us something unique about the resurrection. This story here begins with the disciples all gathered together in a room. Um, The two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, they had reported back to others that they had just seen Jesus alive. And now they're all in a room, they're discussing this. And as they're doing this, just lo and behold, all of a sudden, Jesus is there in their midst. The Gospel of John, when recording this uh, story, says that the doors were even locked. The doors were locked, yet Jesus somehow walked through the doors and He stood there in their midst. He wasn't hovering in their midst. He was standing there right before them. And so the the disciples, probably had the same reaction that you you or me would have, they were frightened. They were were scared. They thought, "This this has to be a ghost. That's a logical conclusion. I've never seen a, a real person walk through a wall. Physical, real people do not walk through walls. And yet Jesus apparently walked through the wall and now He's standing there. And so their first thought is, this has to be a ghost. Then Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. Obviously, He's showing them His scars. I'm real. This is a real body here. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. Verse 40 says that they still disbelieved for joy. Now, this doesn't mean that they really didn't believe Jesus was there. Um, This would be similar to our expression, I just can't believe this is true. I just can't believe it. Um, Maybe you bump into a long-lost friend somewhere, and you bump into each other, and you're like, I I can't believe it's you. But you know it's them. It's It's just almost too good to be true. And they have a very similar reaction here. And then Jesus makes a very unusual request. Um, He asks if they have anything to eat. Uh, So they give him some fish. And Jesus eats the fish before them. Uh, I don't know about you, but when when I'm reading this, I just think, you know, why in the world is that in here? Um, And why would anybody make this up? This, This obviously is not made up. If... If you're going to make up a story about the resurrected Jesus, um, I would make up you know, a story about Jesus kind of glowing, uh, Jesus uh, having great displays of power, um, maybe jumping over mountains, raising people from the dead, all these things. I, I, I would not want to record, you know, Jesus is raised from the dead. You know what? He ate fish. It's just, it's not one of the things that I would have put there, but 
it's obvious it's there because somebody saw that. They're recording it. It happened. He came. He was here. He asked for some fish. We gave him fish. He ate the fish. But why? I mean, it happened, but why did Luke include that here in this story? As one of his three accounts of the resurrected Jesus. I think he does this because this story, perhaps more than any other story in the New Testament, tells us the nature of the resurrection. What the resurrection was like for Jesus, what it will be like for us. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the first fruits. Um, Other places he's called the firstborn, meaning that when we look at the resurrected Jesus, he is the first fruit or the firstborn, but we are going to come behind. We are the fruits that come in his wake, if you will. We'll be raised just like Jesus was raised. So we will have a body just like Jesus. So when we look at Jesus here, we see our glorious future. That's what we see. That's why Luke includes this in, our, in this story. He wants to show us, to give us a little snapshot of what, what our futures are going to look like. We don't believe as Christians that we are going to die, that when we die, life, or I should say that when we die, life is over for us. We, we don't believe that. That all we have in this life is just this life. Um, Christians, and I've tried to instill this in my kids, it's like we have a very unique view of death. We can laugh at it. We can laugh at death. We can say with Paul, oh death, where is your victory? Where's your sting, death? That's mocking death. Christians can mock death because we know it's not the end. And Christians over the ages, in the face of death, especially in the early centuries when they were being martyred, they mocked it. They went to their graves with joy. Because they knew it was not the end. We believe that we live after death. But we also believe that we don't just have a spiritual existence. Um, and this is where, when, when studying the resurrection, you're going to have to create a new category in your brain. So I hope you're, you're ready to rewire your brain, because you've got to fit a new category in your brain here. Um, because many religions, many philosophies, believe in life after death. Or, or maybe your, your spirit lives on after you, or, or whatever life force you have lives on after you. Many religions or philosophies believe that. Christianity believes something completely different than that. We don't believe that our spirits just kind of go out and are forever floating around in space. We believe that the spiritual and the physical will once again reunite and that we will be given physical bodies for eternity. This is absolutely unique. To Christianity here. We'll be resurrected with new bodies. Um, We're not just going to be spirits. We're not just going to be bodies. The best way to think of this is like spiritual bodies. Okay? You have to fit a new category in your brain. We're going to be spiritual bodies. um, Which will be completely physical, meaning we're going to have hands, we're going to have feet. Um, 
We're going to be so normal looking in a sense that, you know, Jesus in his resurrected body could walk by two of his own disciples on a road for a while and they don't once think there's anything odd about him. He's not glowing. There's no aura. There's nothing that he's, he's just one of them. They didn't recognize until their eyes were opened, their minds were opened. He was so ordinary looking. So our body will be like that, yet, which is the coolest thing to my my kids, we can walk through walls. So it'll be different. Be very familiar, but very different. We're not going to just be spirits either. We're not just going to have spiritual bodies because... You know what? If we want, we can sit down and we can eat fish. Jesus eats fish not because He needed to. He didn't need it for sustenance. Jesus wanted to. It's like, I want some fish. And He does this on more than one occasion. Another resurrection story. He goes and He eats fish. He likes fish. He's a spiritual body. He doesn't need the fish, but He wants to partake in the fish. And so you get this new category for what the resurrection is going to look like. It's not just material. It's not just spiritual. It's this spiritual, physical body that awaits us. And so Luke, he wants to point this out to show what our glorious future is going to look like. To give us a little snapshot of this. I like what Paul says when he starts contemplating these things. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, but God has prepared for those who love Him. And I cannot imagine what such an existence will be like. Now, let me just say that this belief in the physical resurrection is one of the reasons that I am here in Birmingham, Alabama, um, preaching in a very hot, unair conditioned gym instead of being someplace else. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I love what I'm doing. I love being a part of the magic city. Um, I, I, I love that. I love going everywhere and seeing Vulcan. Um, and this might come as a complete shock to some of you, There's actually other things, dreams if you will, that I'd also like to do besides just living here in the magic city. Um, There's other places I'd like to live, at least for a while. I'd love to live for a while in Colorado, maybe in Montana. I I would love to, you know, I've spent about a year of my life in Ireland. I'd love to spend about 20 years of my life in Ireland. I'd love to live in New Zealand for a while. There's things, other things I'd like to do. I'd like to go to Alaska and build log cabins. Have any of you ever just wanted to do that? I mean, this is just this dream. You'd like to do that for a while. I'd like to be a carpenter. There's different things that have these dreams. Things I'd like to do. And maybe it's just me. I don't think it's just me. I bet, you know, despite how much y'all love living here in Birmingham, Alabama, and working at the job you're doing, I bet there is a part of you that sometimes dreams about other things. But for me, because of the reality of the resurrection, in my future resurrection, I can live here, I can preach here with no regrets whatsoever. 
Because I know that this is not the end of my physical life. I don't have to cram it all in. I'm not going to look back at my life when I'm 60 and think, man, I never got to climb this mountain, or I never got to go on this safari, or I never got to really pursue a music career or something like that. I'm not going to go back and with regrets in my life as if when my life came to an end, it's the end of my physical existence. I will not have those regrets. I believe that my best life is yet to come. And I bet in this room there's probably a number of you that are beginning to look at your life and you're starting to have regrets. You're starting to wonder, gosh, is this it? I mean, is this it? I mean, all, the, all my hopes and dreams and all this, and this is, this is just kind of it. I wanted to do so much more. And I would probably say that Lauren and I have had that conversation with, with you more than any other conversation in the last two years. I, I mean, I just, I, I want to do so much. I thought I'd be doing so much more. Is this really what my life is starting to unfold and to look like? And, and there's regrets there. I, I say if that is you, Ask God to cement in you, to drill it in you, to to, to press it, to carve it in your heart, the reality of a physical resurrection. That when you die, it is not the end. You're not some disembodied spirit floating off, but it will be a real physical existence, more glorious than you can imagine. We have a glorious future, and you can live life with no regrets now. We also have a glorious present. And before Jesus ascended, which we'll look at more next week, but before He ascended, He gave His people, He gave His church a mission. He gave them a purpose. For those who thought they didn't have a purpose, He gave them a purpose. We find this in verse 46 through 49 says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus gave us this mission that we are to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in His name. That we are to be witnesses of these things. That we're to share His Gospel. Our message, our purpose now is to share this news of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness that can be found in that, the new life that can be found in that. We are to spread that. That is our mission and our purpose. And we're to take this mission to the nations. To the nations. So notice it says, beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning. That means you start in Jerusalem, but then you're going to go to all the nations. And that means you, you start in your home. You start in your workplace. Then you, you go to the city. Then you, 
go to the, the state, you go to your nation, then you go to the world. The problem is some of us in this room have never actually started our mission. We've never started in Jerusalem. We've been a Christian for 20 years and we've never started. We're wondering, you know, what's our purpose in life? Here's your purpose. This is your glorious present. And some of you are thinking, well, if I can't go to the ends of the earth right now, you know, I'm just going to wait till I start. Beginning in Jerusalem. You begin here. You begin in Woodlawn. You begin at the, uh, the hospitality house, serving the homeless on Tuesday nights. You, you begin by sharing with your coworkers or your neighbors. Then Jesus says, before beginning this mission, though, you have to ask to be clothed with power from on high. Verse 49, again. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I am certain that this command from Jesus was hard to follow. Um, I mean, just think, there's these disciples, they've been eating and talking with the resurrected Jesus for 40 days. Um, They're getting an upfront and close personal view of their future when they're looking at this resurrected Jesus. Jesus gives them this mission of everything they're supposed to do. We, we find out you know, later that He then ascends into heaven, and as He's ascending, He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go. But wait first. Wait first. I mean, these disciples had to be bursting with joy. And Jesus says, but wait. Nobody likes to wait. Some of you are pregnant now. When it's maybe nine months and your baby has not come and your doctor says, let's just wait, I promise you, you'll say, we're not waiting. Is there something you can do? I, two times with Natalie, we got all of our stuff, went to the hospital for an induced, uh, to be induced, and they sent Lauren away. Two times with Natalie. For two weeks we had to wait. Those two weeks were excruciating. Waiting is not fun. And you can bet that waiting was the last thing that these disciples wanted to do, especially concerning everything that happened. They just wanted to go. They just wanted to share, not to wait. Uh, An analogy I would use would be, this would be like a, a general, you know, getting his troops all together, Rallying them up and, and telling them, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. Are you ready? And they're like, yes. And say, all right. Now, actually, we're going to have to wait for a while. You know, this is going to be a few weeks away. But y'all just keep, hold that thought. You know, or, or a coach getting his team to all huddle up. It's like, you know, we're going to destroy him. We're going to kill him. Break. Hey, the game is next week, okay? But just keep that, all right? Keep that energy. Bring it back with you next week. I mean, these guys are ready to play. But Jesus says, wait. He wait, tells them to wait because they needed to wait to be clothed with power from on high. They needed to wait for the Spirit because without the Spirit, they would certainly fail. And this task, this mission, cannot 
fail. Cannot fail. It is too important to fail. And he knew they would fail because they had a glorious track record of failure when he was with them. Jesus would be right next to them and a storm would come up and they would freak out in the boat saying we're all going to die. He's with them. They fail. They couldn't cast out some demons when Jesus is right there with them. Jesus tells them, hey, I want you to go and feed this 5,000 people. They can't do it. Jesus is right next to them. So what hope are they going to have when Jesus leaves them? And He says, now go do this mission. They have no hope. They failed with Him next to them. They need the power of the Spirit or they will fail. So He says, wait. And please hear me. I think more than anything for the church to be successful in the mission God has given her, we need to be clothed with power from on high. There is no greater need. I mean, I look at a number of the churches around here in Birmingham, and they are full of good sermons. They are full of money. They are full of volunteers. Yet you don't see the lost being saved. I mean, I see churches with great doctrine. I would sign off on that doctrine. Yet they're powerless. We cannot do the task with our own strength. I mean, if Jesus can walk down the road with two of His disciples and they not recognize Him, what makes us think with our best efforts we could go to somebody and get them to recognize Jesus? We can't do it. The Spirit of God has to open up people's hearts. If we're ever to be the church, if Redeemer Community Church is ever to be the church that God has called us to be, we need to be clothed with power from on high. Jesus tells His disciples to wait until they receive this power. Now, I I don't know if you struggle with waiting like I struggle with waiting. But I struggle with waiting. Confession. Um... It's been actually really hard for me this week because I've, I've had to do just basically sitting. I, I watch maybe like two movies a year, it seems like. I've watched six or seven this week because I've been just, you know, glued on the couch. I've just been sitting there. It drives me crazy. I got to be doing something. And we carry that over into our Christian walk. And we think waiting is an absolute waste of time. I got to be doing something. And there's such an arrogance to that. The arrogance saying that It all falls on me. I can accomplish this, God. Whether you're with me or not, I can do this. And I fight this every single week when I try to prepare a sermon. I sit there and I read. And then I I wait and I pray. And it is hard for me to not think at times when nothing is happening, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. Pull off the commentary. Just, just pull it off. Go ahead. Start looking up things online. We've got to get to work. Sunday's coming. I've got, I got to go to this. I don't have time to, to wait. It's hard. 
But I have seen with just a single Spirit-breathed word coming from my mouth can do versus a hundred hours of preparation and trying to communicate God's truth. And I have seen the difference, and I would much rather have a single God-breathed word come out, penetrating y'all's hearts, opening. We need to wait for the Lord. To quote the great Saint Bono of U2, um, I love this quote. He was asked by a journalist one time what he had learned over the years uh, in trying to raise funds for third world countries. And uh, his response was this. He said that he learned that he could accomplish more by having a 15-minute tea with a senator than he could with years and years of spinning his wheels doing benefit concerts. Man, if we could learn that lesson. As I feel so many times I'm spinning my wheels, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, when all I need is a 15 minutes of tea with my Savior. I need to wait on Him. That's where power comes. It doesn't come from all our Christian activity. When, when I read this story, uh, my first thought, I'm a very kind of symmetrical person, I think it wouldn't have been great if you know, as the Spirit of God's coming, or as, the, as Christ is ascending up, the Spirit of God comes down. I mean, that's just very symmetrical. It, it would have worked very nicely that way. Instead, you know, the Son of God, He comes up, ten days, wait, 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 and then the Spirit of God comes down. Why? I mean, doesn't it make sense to you, you know, God, Jesus comes up, Spirit comes down. What, what's this ten days for? Anybody who has had to wait for something dear knows what waiting produces. It produces a hunger. It produces a desperateness. It deepens the cry of your heart. You're aware of your futility to accomplish anything. It empties you of yourself makes you expect it. And and that's what God wanted to create in them. A desperateness in their heart as they waited and as they prayed and as they cried out. And I'm sure when these 120 got together and they're praying, they don't even know what they're praying for. They're just praying. And this as day after day would go on, there's this new desperateness. There's this cry in their hearts. You know, it's now been three days since Jesus left. God, we need your presence. It's now been seven days since Jesus left. Jesus, we need your presence. We can't go without, without your presence. We can't go without experiencing you. And this desperateness increases until the Spirit of God comes down. And let me tell you, when, when Peter rushes out of that room, filled with the Spirit of God, he is not thinking that he's living life with any regrets. He's not saying, man, I wish I was a fisherman. I wish I could go back to that life. I wish I could do all these other things. He's been given this clarity of purpose. And he can't wait to spread this message and to see God bringing fruit because he's been clothed with power from on high.
That's my prayer for us. I I pray that whatever season that God has you in, that first of all, that the resurrection of Christ and your glorious resurrection will be so cemented in your heart. You can live life with no regrets, with great joy at what awaits you. But then also, God will give you such conviction of purpose now. And that you wouldn't wait on that. You wouldn't wait to wait for the power of God to come into your life so that you could begin in your Jerusalem and you could go to the ends of the world. Pray with me. God, in my life, I've had seasons of fruitless waiting because I've just been waiting. I haven't been waiting for You. I think there's people in this room that are just waiting. God, may they wait for You. May that be the longing of their heart. I pray for this church that You would clothe her with power from on high that we would be the church that You desire us to be. That we would see the lost come to know You. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.